Chapter thirty five of A Son of the Middle Border by Hamlin Garland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Homestead in the Valley. To my father, the Golden Gate of San Francisco was grandly romantic. It was associated in his mind with Bret Hart and the gold seekers of forty nine, as well as with Fremont and the Mexican War. Hence, one of his expressed desires for many years had been to stand on the hills above the bay and look out on the ocean i know boston he said and i want to know frisco my mother's interest in the city was more personal she was eager to see her son franklin play his part in a real play on a real stage for that reward she was willing to undertake considerable extra fatigue and so to please her to satisfy my father and to gratify myself I accompanied them to San Francisco, and for several days, with a delightful sense of accomplishment, my brother and I led them about the town. We visited the Seal Rocks and climbed Knob Hill, explored Chinatown and walked through the old Spanish Quarter, and as each of these pleasures was tasted, my father said, Well, now, that's done, precisely as if he were getting through a list of tedious duties. There was no hint of obligation, however, in the hours which they spent in seeing my brother's performance as one of the three twins in Incog. The piece was in truth very funny and Franklin hardly to be distinguished from his star, a fact which astonished and delighted my mother. She didn't know he could look so unlike himself. She laughed herself quite breathless over the absurd situations of the fuss, but father was not so easily satisfied this foolery is all well enough said he but i'd rather see you and your friend hearn in shore acres at last the day came when they both expressed a desire to return to santa barbara we've had all about all we can stand this trip they confessed whereupon leaving franklin at his job we started down the valley on our way to addison garland's home which had come to have something of the quality of home to us all we were tired but triumphant one by one the things we had promised ourselves to see we had seen the plains the mountains the desert the orange groves the ocean all had been added to the list of our achievements we had visited david and watched franklin play in his troupe and now with a sense of fullness of victory we were on our way back to a safe harbor among the fruits and flowers of southern california this was the pleasantest thought of all to me and in private i said to my uncle i hope you can keep these people till spring they must not go back to dakota now give yourself no concern about that replied addison i have a program laid out which will keep them busy until may we're going out to catalina and up into the ohay valley and down to los angeles we are to play for the rest of the winter like a couple of boys with mind entirely at ease i left them on the rose-embowered porch of my uncle's home and started east by way of denver and chicago eager to resume work on a book which i had promised for the autumn chicago was now full in the spotlight of the national stage in spite of the business depression which still engulfed the west the promoters of the columbian exposition were going steadily forward with their plans and when i arrived in the city about the middle of january the bustle of preparation was at a very high point the newly acquired studios were swarming with eager and aspiring young artists and i believed 
as many others believed that the city was entering upon an era of swift and shining development all the nearby states were stirred and heartened by this aesthetic awakening of a metropolis which up to this time had given but little thought to the value of art in the life of a community from being a huge muddy windy marketplace it seemed about to take its place among the literary capitals of the world colonies of painters sculptors decorators and other art experts now colored its life in gratifying degree beauty was a work to advertise with and writers like harriet monroe henry b fuller george ade peter finley dunn and eugene field were at work celebrating each in his kind the changes in the thought and aspect of the town ambitious publishing houses were springing up and dummies of new magazines were being fanned by reckless young editors the talk was all of art and the exposition it did indeed seem as if culture were about to hum naturally this flare of aesthetic enthusiasm lit the toe of my imagination i predicted a publishing center and a literary marketplace second only to new york a publishing center which by reason of its geographical position would be more progressive than boston and more american than manhattan here flames the spirit of youth here throbs the heart of america i declared in crumbling idols an essay which i was at this time writing for the forum in the heat of this conviction i decided to give up my residence in boston and establish headquarters in chicago i belonged here my writing was of the middle border and must continue to be so its spirit was mine all of my immediate relations were dwellers in the west and as i had also definitely set myself the task of depicting certain phases of mountain life it was inevitable that i should ultimately bring my workshop to chicago which was my natural pivot the hinge on which my varied activities would resolve and finally to live here would enable me to keep in closer personal touch with my father and mother in the wisconsin homestead which i had fully determined to acquire following this decision i returned to boston and at once announced my plan to howells flower another of my good friends who had meant so much to me in the past each was kind enough to express regret and all agreed that my scheme was logical it should bring you happiness and success they added alas the longer i stayed the deeper i settled into my groove and the more difficult my removal became it was not easy to surrender the busy and cheerful life i had been leading for nearly ten years it was hard to say good-bye to the artists and writers and musicians with whom i had so long been associated to leave the common the parks the library and the lovely walks and drives of roxbury was sorrowful business but i did it i packed my books ready for shipment and returned to chicago in may just as the exposition was about to open its doors like everyone else who saw it at this time i was amazed at the grandeur of the white city and impatiently anxious to have all my friends and relations share in my enjoyment of it my father was back on the farm in dakota and i wrote to him at once urging him to come down frank will be here in june and we will take charge of you sell the cook stove if necessary and come you must see this fair 
on the way back i will go as far as west salem and will buy that homestead i've been talking about my brother whose season closed about the twenty-fifth of may joined me in urging them not to miss the fair and a few days later we were both delighted and a little surprised to get a letter from mother telling us when to expect them i can't walk very well she explained but i'm coming i'm so hungry to see my boys that i don't mind the long journey having secured rooms for them at a small hotel near the west gate of the exposition grounds we were at the station to receive them as they came from the train surrounded by other tired and dusty pilgrims of the plains father was in high spirits and mother was looking very well considering the tiresome ride of nearly seven hundred miles give us a chance to wash up and we'll be ready for anything she said with brave intonation we took her at her word with merciless enthusiasm we hurried them back to their hotel and as soon as they had bathed and eaten a hasty lunch we started out with intent to astonish and delight them here was another table at the feast of life from which we did not intend they should rise unsatisfied this shall be the richest experience of their lives we said with a wheeled chair to save mother from the fatigue of walking we started down the line and so rapidly did we pass from one stupendous vista to another that we saw in a few hours many of the inside exhibits and all of the finest exteriors not to mention a glimpse of the polyglot amazements of the midway in pursuance of our plan to watch the lights come on we ate our supper in one of the big restaurants on the grounds and at eight o'clock entered the court of honor it chanced to be a moonlit night and as lamps were lit and the waters of the lagoon began to reflect the gleaming walls of the great palaces with their sculptured ornaments and boats of quaint shape filled with singers came and went beneath the arching bridges the wonder and the beauty of it all moved these dwellers of the level land to tears of joy which was almost as poignant as pain in addition to its grandeur the scene had for them the transitory quality of an autumn sunset a splendor which they would never see again stunned by the majesty of the vision my mother sat in her chair visioning it all yet comprehending little of its meaning her life had been spent among homely small things and these gorgeous scenes dazzled her overwhelmed her letting in upon her in one mighty flood a thousand stupefying suggestions of the art and history and poetry of the world she was old and she was ill and her brain ached with the weight of its new conceptions her face grew troubled and wistful and her eyes as big and dark as those of a child at last utterly overcome she leaned her head against my arm closed her eyes and said take me home i can't stand any more of it sadly i took her away back to her room realizing that we had been too eager we had oppressed her with the exotic the magnificent she was too old and too feeble to enjoy as we had hoped she would enjoy the color and music and thronging streets of the magic city at the end of the third day father said well i've had enough he too began to long for the repose of the country the solace of familiar scenes in truth they were both surfeited with the alien sick of the picturesque their ears suffered from the clamor of strange sounds as their eyes ached with the clash of unaccustomed color my insistent haste 
my desire to make up in a few hours for all their past deprivations seemed at the moment to have been a mistake seeing this knowing that all the splendor of the orient could not compensate them for another sleepless night i decided to cut their visit short and hurry them back to quietude early on the fourth morning we started for the lacrosse valley by way of madison they with a sense of relief i with a feeling of disappointment the feast was too rich too highly spiced for their simple tastes i now admitted however a certain amount of comfort came to me as i observed that the farther they got from the fair the keener their enjoyment of it became with bodies at ease and minds untroubled they now relieved in pleasant retrospect all the excitement and bustle of the crowds all the bewildering sights and sounds of the midway scenes which had worried as well as amazed them were now recalled with growing enthusiasm as our train filled with other returning sightseers of like condition rushed steadily northward into the green abundance of the land they knew so well and when at six o'clock of a lovely afternoon they stepped down upon the platform of the weather-beaten little station at west salem both were restored to their serene and buoyant selves the leafy village so green so muddy so lush with grass seemed the perfection of restful security the chuckle of robins on the lawns the songs of catbirds in the plum trees and the whistle of larks in the pasture appealed to them as part of a familiar sweet and homely hymn just in the edge of the village on a four-acre plot of rich level ground stood an old two-story frame cottage on which i had fixed my interest it was not beautiful not in the least like the ideal new england homestead my brother and i had so long discussed but it was sheltered on the south by three enormous maples and its gate fronted upon a double row of new england elms whose branches almost arched the wide street its gardens rich in grapevines asparagus beds plums raspberries and other fruiting shrubs appealed with special power to my mother who had lived so long on the sun-baked plains that the sight of green things growing was very precious in her eyes clumps of lilacs syringa and snowball and beds of old-fashioned flowers gave further evidence of the love and care with the former owner of the place had lavished upon it as for myself the desire to see my aging parents safely sheltered beneath the benignant branches of those sturdy trees would have made me content even with a log cabin in imagination i perceived this angular cottage growing into something fine and sweet and our own there was charm also in the fact that its western windows looked out upon the wooded hills over which i had wandered as a boy and whose skyline had printed itself deep into the lowest stratum of my subconscious memory and so it happened that on the following night as we stood before the gate looking out upon the sunset wall of purple bluffs from beneath the double row of elms stretching like a peristyle to the west my decision came this is my choice i declared right here we take root this shall be the garland homestead i turned to my father when can you move not till after my grain is threshed and marketed he replied very well let's call it the first of november and we'll all meet here for our thanksgiving dinner 
thanksgiving with us as with most new englanders had always been a date mark something to count upon and to count from and no sooner were we in possession of a deed than my mother and i began to plan for a dinner which should be at once a reunion of the garlands and mcclintocks a homecoming and a housewarming with this understanding i let them go back for a final harvest in dakota the purchase of this small lot and commonplace house may seem very unimportant to the reader but to me and to my father it was in very truth epoch-making to me it was the ending of one life and the beginning of another to him it was decisive and not altogether joyous to accept this as his home meant a surrender of his faith in the golden west a tacit admission that all his explorations of the open land with whatsoever they had meant of opportunity had ended in a sense of failure on a barren soil it was not easy for him to enter into the spirit of our thanksgiving plans although he had given his consent to them he was still the tiller of broad acres the speculator hoping for a boom early in october as soon as i could displace the renter of the house i started in rebuilding and redecorating it as if for the entrance of a bride i widened the dining-room refitted the kitchen and ordered new rugs curtains and furniture from chicago i engaged a cook and maid and bought a horse so that on november first the date of my mother's arrival i was able to meet her at the station and drive her in a carriage of her own to an almost completely outfitted home it was by no means what i intended it to be but it seemed luxurious to her tears dimmed her eyes as she stepped across the threshold but when i said mother hereafter my headquarters are to be in chicago and my home here with you she put her arms around my neck and wept her wanderings were over her heart at peace my father arrived a couple of weeks later and with his coming mother sent out the invitations for our dinner so far as we could we intended to bring together the scattered units of our family group at last the great day came my brother was unable to be present and there were other empty chairs but the mcclintocks were well represented william white-haired gigantic looking almost exactly like granddad at the same age came early bringing his wife his two sons and his daughter-in-law frank and lorette drove over from lewis valley with both of the sons and a daughter-in-law samantha and dan could not come but deborah and susan were present and completed a family role several of my father's old friends promised to come in after dinner the table reflecting the abundance of the valley in those peaceful times was stretched to its full length and as we gathered about it william congratulated my father on getting back where cranberries and turkeys and fat squashes grew my mother smiled at this jest but my father still loyal to dakota was quick to defend it i like it out there he insisted i like wheat racing on a big scale i don't know how i'm going to come down from operating a six-horse header to scraping with the hoe in a garden patch mother wearing her black silk dress and lace collar sat at one end of the table while i to relieve my father of the task of carving the twenty-pound turkey sat opposite her 
For the first time in my life I took position as head of the family and the significance of this fact did not escape the company. The pen had proved itself to be mightier than the plow. Going east had proved more profitable than going west. It was a noble dinner, as I regard it from the standpoint of today, with potatoes six dollars per bushel and turkeys forty cents per pound, it all seemed part of a kindlier world, a vanished world as it is. There were squashes and turnips and cranberry sauce and pumpkin pie and mince pie, made under mother's supervision, and coffee with real cream, all the things which are so precious now, and the talk was in praise of the delicious food and the exposition which was just closing and reports of the crops which were abundant and safely garnered the wars of the world were all behind us and the nation on its way back to prosperity and we were unafraid the gay talk lasted well through the meal but as mother's pies came on aunt maria regretfully remarked it's a pity frank can't help eat this dinner i wish dave and manty were here put in deborah and rachel added mother this brought the note of sadness which is inevitable in such a gathering and the shadow deepened as we gathered about the fire a little later the dead claimed their places since leaving the valley thirty years before our group had suffered many losses all my grandparents were gone my sisters harriet and jessie and my uncle richard had fallen on the march david and rebecca were stranded in the foothills of the cascade mountains rachel a widow was in georgia the pioneers of forty eight were old and their bright world a memory my father called on mother for some of the old songs you and deb sing nelly wildwood he urged and to me it was a call to all the absent ones an invitation to gather about us in order that the gaps in our hearth-fire's broken circle might be filled sweet and clear though in diminished volume my mother's voice rose on the tender refrain never more to part nelly wildwood never more to long for the spring and i thought of hattie and jessie and tried to believe that they too were sharing in the comfort and contentment of our fire george who resembled his uncle david and had much of his skill with the fiddle bow had brought his violin with him but when father asked frank to play maggie ere ye slippin he shook his head saying that's dave's tune and his loyalty touched us all quick tears sprang to mother's eyes she knew all too well that never again would she hear her best beloved brother touch the strings or join his voice to hers it was a moment of sorrow for us all but only for a moment for deborah struck up one of the lively dark pieces which my father loved so well and with its jubilant patter young and old returned to smiling it must be now in the kingdom a-comin in the year of jubilo we shouted and so translated the words of the song into an expression of our own rejoicing present song after song followed war chants which renewed my father's military youth ballads which deepened the shadows in my mother's eyes and then at last at my request she sang the rolling stone and with a smile at father we all joined the chorus we'll stay on the farm and we'll suffer no loss 
for the stone that keeps rolling will gather no moss my father was not entirely convinced but i surrounded by these farmer folk hearing from their lips these quaint melodies responded like some tensely strung instrument whose chords are being played upon by searching winds i acknowledged myself at home and for all time beneath my feet lay the rugged country rock of my nativity it pleased me to discover my mental characteristics striking so deep into this typically american soil one by one our guests rose and went away jocularly saying to my father well dick you've done the right thing at last it's a comfort to have you so handy we'll come to dinner often to me they said we'll expect to see more of you now that the old folks are here this is my home i repeated when we were alone i turned to mother in the spirit of the builder give me another year and i'll make this a homestead worth talking about my head is full of plans for its improvement it's good enough for me as it is she protested no it isn't i retorted quickly nothing that i can do is good enough for you but i intend to make you entirely happy if i can here i make an end of this story here at the close of an epoch of western settlement here with my father and mother sitting beside me in the light of a tender thanksgiving in our new old home and facing a peaceful future i was thirty-three years of age and in a certain very real sense this plot of ground this protecting roof may be taken as the symbols of my hard-earned first success as well as the defiant gauges of other necessary battles which i must fight and win as i was leaving next day for chicago i said mother what shall i bring you from the city with a shy smile she answered there is only one thing more you can bring me one thing more that i want what is that a daughter i need a daughter and some grandchildren end of chapter thirty five end of a son of the middle border by hamlin garland recorded by ina derbyshire auckland new zealand